Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on when you are listening to this podcast. My name is Sam, host of the Gauntlet Conservation Podcast, set up in the name of Gauntlet Conservation Trust to interview the people most involved with and supported by this wonderful charity. For today's episode, I invited Graham back to the podcast to talk about a project that the charity has been heavily involved with recently out in Africa, with both Graham and his son Jake going out to be a part of it. And if you follow the Gauntlet social medias, you probably already know quite a lot about this event. But here's Graham to explain a little more. Enjoy listening to the story of Graham and Jake's most recent adventure. Good afternoon, Graham, and thank you for joining us on today's podcast. Now, for the people that may not know, could you give us a brief outline of quite a big project, really, that the, the charity has been involved with recently? It's quite really cool. Yeah, it was cool. An amazing opportunity. Um, those of you who know Gauntlet and Gauntlet Conservation Trust will know that we've got quite a lot of relationships with many organisations out in South Africa. I've been going for the last 18 years to South Africa working with EWT and BirdLife as well on monitoring vultures. But we, um, Jake was over in November. Uh, he went just the month after me and uh, he was working at Volpro. And they were telling all about their expansions within Volpro and how they were moving um, the breeding birds to a, a safer facility in South Africa and that um, they really needed some assistance in this and they wanted people who you know who had experience and a connection to Volpro uh, to try to basically translate these birds from Pretoria down to Port Elizabeth and uh, whether he'd be interested in, and whether he could twist my arm to go as well so that's pretty much um, what happened, I got the phone yeah. call and asked, so you can imagine, um, the phone call went, summer, dad, they need us to get out in uh, January to translocate these vultures, uh, we've got an 18 hour road trip, well he actually, he told me it was an 11 hour road trip, um, and it's all organised and we should be fine, are we up for it, uh, which I said, well if you think we should do it, let's do it. And that is basically what happened. Didn't take much arm twisting, you just went, do you, do you fancy doing this? You're just like, yeah, of course, I will. <laughs> we've been at the opportunity. Yeah, amazing, amazing. It, it's quite nice of being a father and your son suddenly taking on your same occupation as you. Um, even though it's in work, it's done very professionally. It's not just like Jake's, my, of course, my son, but... Um, he works for the business yeah, and yeah. Uh, so he has a role of that and that's so important I think within businesses like ourselves I, I, I pride it on being a family business as in all the, the team we've got are all part of the Gauntlet family which is yeah. mega to me really. Yeah no that's really cool um, so yeah you went out at the end of January uh, it was actually a, a, a record number of birds you translocated, wasn't it? How many birds were there uh, in total? Yeah, it was, it, there was a record. It was 163 birds, and that was a combination of Cape vultures, 
an African whiteback finches. Um, and these are all birds that had established themselves within Volpro as breeding birds. Uh, and their young and their offspring um, would then could go to release. Um, so all of these birds are non-releasable that are in the breeding projects. Yeah. So in my head, ethically, over the years, um, these birds were forgotten birds. They, they years and years ago, if you go back in time, birds are, were disabled or, or in some way couldn't go back to the wild, would have more likely been euthanized. Yeah. Whereas Volpro really perfected this art of using those stock to actually set up breeding pairs and then they produce young and then they, they, they're young can then go back to the wild, which is then repopulated, which is vital to vultures. Because as we all know, vultures have one baby a year. In fact, many of the vulture species breed a year, have a year off, breed a year. So to repopulate something that doesn't mature till later in life, like five or six years of age, repopulation is a very, very slow process. And I just don't think in the grand scheme of things, always people take that into account. Repopulating vultures is a slow process. So all those injured birds are vital to conservation and vital to keep the species from becoming extinct. So the whole thing is, is an incredible thing to be part of. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, if you've been to Gauntlet, you know about the plight of vultures. It's something that we, we preach about here. Um, and that's that's what some people don't get just expanding on your point of, of how long it takes to to boost the species that the numbers we've lost over the last years we're just we're never going to regrow in our lifetime because of that slow process really no I, I think it's more like you say it's definitely more than that it's a long-term project you know i was talking to somebody about vulture conservation um only last week and they were saying you know when we're looking at the conservation and conserving the species we're looking at everything all our efforts we're putting in are probably we're signing into it for hundreds of years really yeah. Um, yeah. to get them to the levels they once were and that's man starting to understand his environment and mm. accepting we have got a problem and we've got to really help these incredible creatures and that's years go, going into their introduction and repopulation without including the fact that a lot of the issues are still ongoing really massively yeah i mean the big thing is in in South Africa in particular, well, the vulture is, is, has got a number of massive enemies, shall we say, as um, problems, and that's, we've got, in, you know, accidental poisoning, deliberate poisoning, we've got electrocutions, and we've also got the witchcraft trade, and those combinations all going together are really hammering vultures out in Africa, um, and so hopefully as the generations go by and mobile phones are out there we're hoping that witchcraft hopefully in the future generations becomes less of a an influence on their life and um, but who knows we've got to see how that one yeah. goes it's crazy a mobile phone can change it but you've got to remember a mobile phone connects us with the rest of the world and tiktoks and, yeah. <laughs> and all your various things and their influences on young people's lives and if they can influence the western way more than the old traditional ways i'm not saying that's always right but but certainly when it comes to the witchcraft saying that the parts of a vulture are going to make your dream lot results or gambling results it's just a you know we all know that it's just crazy stuff it is i actually um saw a, a comment it was on a it was on a social media post recently um about 
it was actually somebody sharing this project that you had been involved with. And there was, there was a simple comment um, from somebody that essentially said, um, has the stuff that's been affecting vultures stopped? Is it, is it good to re-release them now? Has, has it all stopped? And I mean, like you say, it hasn't. It's still very much ongoing. But I think that's been a, a big thing with this relocation because they've moved to a, a, a much safer area now, haven't they, where they're going to be a lot better protected? Yeah, they have. I mean, I think one of the big things about the project is that Volpro has rehabilitation birds which are going to stay in Pretoria that are going to be then re-released. Everything that's breeding is going to go to Shamwari in Port Elizabeth. And the idea being is Shamwari is a very safe environment, got really good anti-poaching there. Um, they've got good monitoring programmes. It, it's a very safe, safe place. And the idea being is that the only vultures that are being released into Shamwari at the moment are going to be Cape vultures because there's always been uh, a colony there. Uh, it's, it's one that's reduced in numbers significantly, but they want to repopulate that with the Cape vultures. So that's the main vulture type species that's going to be released. However, on our, on our translocation, our movements, we moved whiteback vultures uh, the whitebacks have got, there's no intention of releasing that into Shamwari. Uh, the whiteback vultures, when they breed, the young are then going to be taken back up Africa to areas where there is populations of whitebacks mm. and that they can be released back in a controlled environment. And this yeah. will all be done with uh, satellite tracking so that the success of the project can be monitored all the time. Yeah, it can be evaluated much better. Mm. Um, and from what I understand, while you were out on this project as well, um, you actually made some some new contacts. You met new people from different organisations that were all a part yeah, of it. I've, yeah, that was one thing that, you know, really lucky that I met a lot of people out in Africa and lots of people in the conservation world, which has just been amazing. And some lovely people and, and obviously lifetime friendships. Um, when we went on to this translocation, obviously we weren't under Volpro, but while we were there, we were working with uh, We Wild Africa, which is the Howlett's uh, Foundation. Tusk as well were one of the sponsors. So we were able to meet lots of uh, other conservation groups that are not just working primarily with, with raptors and, and vultures, um, they're working with many other species. So that was fantastic. We formed some good links with them. Um, got to say, the whole Translocate was it just an incredible thing? Stick seven people, um, most of us didn't know each other, so we had two vets, um, we had a, a journalist, um, we had um, an American guy from another collection who was there to work alongside us. We were the grabber, and then some of two of all pro staff. Uh, we had a, a security uh, firm with us who were there to, to guard. Uh, the vultures and on the on the trip, um. So they were armed and everything. That was quite a uh, a shock to us. <laughs> a bit of a surreal thing. Yeah, and then DHL and those of you who watch the videos will see the big juggernauts. Incredible. Um, and eighteen hours on the road and camaraderie was amazing and it brought a group of people that started off the journey just knowing a little bit about each other. By the end of it, we knew everything about each yeah. other. It's amazing what traveling in those close quarters of each other really did you just give us a bit of a an outline of how the the couple of days you actually spent so obviously you went there um 
prior to everything happening so everything could be set up and ready. You just give them an outline of how, because it, it was over a couple of days really, because it was, a, I think it was about an 18 hour journey. Yeah, just I mean, how, it, how the days went really. Yeah, well, when we arrived at Volpro, one of the biggest things was to, um, we had the sponsor um, had delivered the boxes to transfer the birds in. Um, and each bird had to have its own crate. And this was lined with carpet um, and it had to be um, all prepared and everything so the birds you know could travel as comfortably as possible so the the first couple of days of being there were to create to prepare the 163 crates with a couple of extras just to yeah. so we had spares um, so they were all set and that wasn't a five minute job by any stretch no. <laughs> so they were all sorted out cleaned out you know they're all brand new but everything was sorted and checked and everything was functionally correct the sliding door worked and one thing or another um, and we we had to get them set we then had to monitor the birds that were going to see that uh, visually all the birds were acting very normal and nobody looked in any way not well enough for the journey yeah. they were also getting health checks all the birds got health checks once they were caught uh, and a decision was made whether they were healthy enough to do the journey um, and one of the big ones was that there was a big decision with the veterinary we discussed was were the the adult birds we was it was deemed that that they were in a healthy condition and they were hydrated they would you know they looked and they looked well and such like that once the vets give the nod and we we've done our checks they were, they were loaded but all the young birds uh, were all given fluids um, this was important because we made the decision with them being younger and everything they didn't have the same resources so they were all yeah. given fluids um, to on board so that they were safe for their trip um, and the scary bit was you know 18 hours into it we, we loaded the birds and that was 163 birds to health check and load everybody had to carry their own uh, identifying we need to know every bird and who's paired up with them and we had all the right birds and we worked on the principle it was we were going to st we started the load up at, at two o'clock in the afternoon and um there was a team of about 60 people it was it was an incredible but we had to run it like a military operation uh, and alistair from Volpro. I've got to give him his due. He's an ex-sergeant major, and he what you could tell why he, <laughs> he he run it like that. And we said we've got to do this. We wanted it as stress-free for the birds. We worked on the principle we're going to take about three hours. So we thought by five o'clock birds would be loaded. We then had to get them onto the the juggernauts to get them all loaded and and have them all strapped down. And we reckon that would take another hour. And so this three-hour target was in our minds but we we said it will be as it is you know yeah. take as long as it does um, but we started catching the birds and loading them and we've done the whole lot in uh, under two hours which was incredible we managed to get them on the journal so we we got underway earlier which was fantastic and a lot of people said well why did you catch them up in the afternoon well we needed to get them loaded because we wanted to travel them at the coolest part of the evening you know overnight yeah yeah so, and we also wanted them to get into their new home the following day at lunchtime. So and so then they could get in settle. and get settled yeah. down before the darkness sense. fell. Yeah. So it was, it was the, just all those different things were taken in and we, you know, we had to do it. So we got on the road by about 
quarter past five in the evening, ready for our long journey ahead, and it was a long journey, but it was incredible. Were you, just, just, just as a side note, were you still expecting the 11-hour journey at this point? Well, it, it, well, I think I got told about four or five hours before and said, you know that 11 hours, we don't think it's going to be 11 hours, we think it's going to be 18 hours. And that's amazing when you've got all these people in this tiny little minibus with all your, your, your luggage as well. I can't describe it, it was crazy. We had to stop every two hours to check the birds, so all the birds would be checked and see that everybody was travelling okay and there was no problems. So. Um, that was Jake and myself would check our birds and the vets would check theirs and it was just incredibly like I say the camaraderie and the, the working yeah. together it really brought us together and we knew we could rely on each other um, and it, the tiredness you just grab 10 minutes kip in the car as, you know in the minibus as you're going along and then you'd be stopping again it was, <laughs> it was mad it was it was crazy it sounds full on, but it, it does sound like it was also relatively um, kind of well-oiled, well-planned out. It, it, I've got to say it was one of the best, uh, most well-organised thing. DHL were incredibly professional, um, amazing. Uh, from all the team, from the drivers through to the organisers, they had the route planned out. Everybody had, you know, all on their phones, they had the GPS of all the vehicles which were travelling in convoy. See if anybody got broke away, we, knew, we could find out why and stuff like that. Yeah. It was just, it was amazing. Um, it, it was one of those feelings where when you were on it, you didn't really understand the, quite the, the magnitude of the whole event that was taking place. Until and you've done it. Coming back to the UK, <laughs> it's unreal how many people I've spoke to and uh, emails and messages. It's just been, the whole thing's been amazing. Um, so yeah, incredible. No, that's yeah, that's absolutely incredible, and it's just being so well planned out as well for such such a big thing that can't have been an easy task. Like no. obviously, so much credit must go to I think, everyone involved. Yeah, really. I think I think when somebody says one hundred and sixty sixty-three birds, the biggest translocation of vultures ever carried out, and um, when we arrived in Shamwari, um, we got to the gatehouse. That was pretty amazing to you turn up and you suddenly at this game reserve so beautiful and uh, we get checked in one thing or another uh, they wanted to know who we all were and even though they had the information like checking off it was all very very professional and then we were then transferred uh, from the minibus onto Land Rovers and uh, well I can't say Land Rovers because they weren't I would prefer it to be a Land Rover but they all go on to land cruisers and such yeah. like. But we go into there and we, the, the trucks can only drive in so far. And um, the area was probably about oh, half a mile to a mile into Shamwari. And um, so we, when we arrived, we're there and there's these uh, land cruisers to, to for us, the team to get into. And then we drive over the brow and it was, I can't really give it the feeling of what it was, but we're driving through beautiful Shamwari, followed by the, the big juggernauts and yeah. <laughs> there with the birds. And we go over almost the brow of the hill and when we get over the brow of the hill, all we can see is vehicles and people. And uh, that feeling when all your goosebumps, you know, everything, your hairs in the back of your neck go up, 
it was one of those feelings and people's faces as we were getting closer to them that we'd arrived on the journey you know we'd managed You'd it done it, it yeah. was just unreal <laughs> it was unreal so from the Amazing. rangers to the the team of shangwari and all that everybody at the offices everybody was there to help and it was one of the most incredible like feelings of of my life i've got to say it was just incredible um and then we transferred all the birds in the boxes from the the big trucks onto smaller trucks to then go and take the birds to where they're going to in shamwari um, i've got to say that was just an incredible feeling to be part of and I'm just bad, yeah. dying for the moment when you lift the lid on the box to release the bird and see you know his <laughs> journey and great to say but of 163 birds every single bird made it in the same health as it as it left in in good health it was amazing amazing memories you're gonna carry with you for a long time <laughs> yeah definitely definitely and it was nice that gauntlet's been acknowledged um for being there for Jake and myself being there and to open and keep the doors for other members of the team over the years to come to go and visit and see and uh, work alongside which is something we're really excited about that's amazing thank you for sharing that story with us thank you for tuning in to today's episode i really do hope you have enjoyed it and you've learned something new if you would like to find out more please visit for the charity www.gauntletconservationtrust.org or for the business www.gauntletbirdsofprey.co UK, or simply visit the collection and speak to the staff team for yourself at Gauntlet Birds of Prey, Manchester Road, Knutsford, WA16 0SX.